you're not you're not coming from a traditional data analytics background you didn't come from a traditional <laughs> cricket writing background either um, i don't really come from anything you no know, you come from something you come from your mother's vagina yeah uh, well we can yeah. talk about my mother's vagina if you want sure <laughs> what would you name my mom's vagina here's the opening question <laughs> Hello and welcome to Couch Talk podcast and I'm your host Subhash Jairaman. The person you just heard, I'm sure you recognize his voice. It's Jared Kimber and he's the guest on this episode of Couch Talk, the 200th episode of the show. It's only taken nearly 9 years. The show started way back in June of uh, 2011, but the elusive 100 it's been reached. So before we get on with the show with uh, Jared Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank some of the folks uh, who have helped the show uh, along the way. First and foremost, uh, well, the guest on this show, Jared, he uh, was uh, one of the early guests on the show, and uh, he helped uh, Couch Talk get on uh, ESPN Cricket Info way back in 2013, where it was there for uh, three years. So thanks to Jared, and of course, the first guest on the show was uh, Siddhartha Vaidyanathan. you know he has helped a lot along the way and um so thanks to him uh, thanks to uh, ESPN Cricket Info uh, Sambit Paul and uh, Leslie Matthew uh, who was my features editor there uh, very helpful person um and uh, Kartike Date at Cricketing View uh, who's a friend of the show has been on the show a few times uh, a fellow podcaster and uh, writer uh, for uh, all his ideas and uh, unvarnished uh, critique A key person I should definitely thank is Bharatram Pattabiraman, Bagrat15 on Twitter, uh, without whose help the show would have never really taken off because he did the labor of love of, uh, of transcribing more than 120, 130 episodes of this uh, show. Um, that's a lot of work um, and he, was, he would never say no. So... uh but uh if you're listening thank you so much thanks are also to um you know a lot of the cricket writers and correspondents who have been on the show and also were uh, helpful in getting uh you know active as well as uh, former cricketers administrators uh backroom staff um without their help uh, the show would not have been what it it ended up being you know, i used to be able to publish pretty regularly almost a weekly basis uh but uh things have changed uh now i have a regular job and uh, there is a little couch on the way so there is there are more demands on my time so i'm not able to do the podcast as frequently as i would like um i don't want to shut down the show like i did in 2016 because i still feel uh very interesting i get my creative juices flowing every time i think about putting a podcast together finding the guests doing the research and getting the questions together and actually doing the interview so on and so forth so um, i'll be publishing but on a very infrequent irregular basis so i hope uh, you can put up with my tardiness uh, finally thanks to all the listeners uh, without you the show is not what it is um, so thanks for uh, listening for over the years uh for uh, your feedback uh, for your participation in the show sending in the questions uh, giving me ideas and constructive criticism uh and all that so uh, this show is as much uh yours as it is mine so thank you so much for listening so uh without any further ado let's jump to the episode with uh, Jared Kimber the 200th episode of uh, Couch Talk once again thank you for listening 
Nothing is so fleeting as sporting achievement and nothing so lasting as the recollection of it. This is the Couch Talk Podcast. Welcome to the show, Jared. Thank you for having me. Uh, you were the uh, global writer and presenter for uh, Cricket for ESPN Cricket for for many years, and since then you had uh, transitioned from that side of cricket to uh, becoming a data analyst, general manager of a T20 franchise, and uh, now you are uh, the data analyst for a national team out there of Scotland. So let's begin with how you transitioned from being a writer, cricket writer, to data analyst. How did you con somebody? That's that's <laughs> that's I really want to know. How did you con somebody to giving you an analyst job? It's actually quite interesting because like if you go back to when I used to go to Shield games, so you go to the MCG for a Shield game, and I was a, I was a member, so I quite often sat not far from uh, the Victorian and, and the opposition players, and the selectors would often be there. And I often thought that, like, there's, there's no way that they, they can't watch as much Victorian Shield cricket as I do. Um, they would obviously, hopefully, watch slightly more Shield cricket in general than I do. Um, and I always thought that, like, especially Trevor Holmes, who I chatted to a couple of times, because literally there were two of us in the ground back in these days. <laughs> um, uh, and so, you know, occasionally, you know, you'd make a comment about a player and then he'd chat because he's got no one to chat to as well. Um, and I, I often thought that that kind of position of someone who is outside cricket but has a good cricket knowledge um, but looks at things differently could be quite handy. Um, but, of course, it didn't exist in cricket. And, and I, you know, the word analyst didn't really exist in cricket at that stage. They didn't even do video analysis. That was probably a few years before Krishna Tunga got involved uh, with John Buchanan and the Australian team. Um, so at that stage, it, it never really made any sense to me. And then I go off and be a journalist. And I watch this rise. You know, I watch uh, Krishna Tunga and um, Nathan Lehman and uh, most international teams get at least a video analyst. And then most county teams as well. You know, and, and yeah, I sort of watch all this rise, but at no stage did I ever think, oh, I should become one of those. Mm. It never really occurred to me. And then uh, I suppose this whole journey all happened in 2016 when we were going to the World T20. And I really liked T20 cricket. I liked it from the start. And my biggest problem with T20 cricket was the dancing girls and the bad commentary and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, this is a really interesting sport and we're at the beginning of it. And, uh, you know, we, all we can do is make DLF maximum jokes, um, which are great. I mean, let, let's not get it wrong. A DLF maximum joke, it's a solid joke. You know, impersonating Danny Morrison is a, is a fun thing to do. But there was also a sport there and I was really interested with that. And quite early on, actually, I tried to write quite seriously about T20 and no one cared. I wrote a column for a, a website owned by an American Indian um, uh, guy. Uh, I think it was called Crick Dude. Mm. Uh, and I tried to write like an American style um, analysis of T20 cricket. Um, and uh, eventually the website went bankrupt and I never heard from the guy again. He still owes me money. Um, but <laughs> That seems like a lot of uh, Americans that get into cricket. They eventually go bankrupt and uh, don't pay people money. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't know who you're insinuating, uh, who you're hinting at there, but uh, I'll, I'll leave that one alone because um, I might still be owed money by other people. But anyway, uh, so I um, in 2016, 
I, I hadn't really written much about T20 because it wasn't my job. My job was global cricket. Mm-hmm. And so it was really more the test playing nations, a little bit of associate cricket, um, you know, a major major events and those sorts of things. Um, a little bit of women's cricket as well went at major events. So, you know, I was quite quite stretched, but I, obviously I was going to the World T20 in 2016. And I basically, I think I might have said to Sam Bittbal, the editor, just before I went, it's ridiculous that no one writes about cricket properly, uh, T20 properly. Um, and I think at that stage, Freddie Wilde, I think, would be the only person who was regularly writing anywhere near mainstream. And this was well before his career sort of broke through, but anywhere near mainstream about T20 cricket. Um, and so I sort of complained to Sam Bitt about that. And then Sam Bitt said, why don't you write a piece about what you think we should be focusing on? So I did. Um, and then for that tournament, I started to sort of work out better ways to write about T20 and, you know, look at things in, in, in different ways. And then shortly after that, um, when was that, when was that tournament? Was that the start of 2016? So it must've been 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be going to Australia to cover Australia, Pakistan. I think that's right. Um, in the test series and literally, you know, I don't want to throw Sambit under the bus, but I'm about to throw Sambit under the bus here. Mm-hmm. I reckon about two weeks before the start of the tournament, before the start of the series, I was already in Australia because I'd taken my kids out early to, uh, with, my, with my family. Um, I was about two weeks before the start of this tournament. Sam Bitt said, do you think you could change your entire schedule and write about the Big Bash season? Hmm. And I was like, uh, I can have a go. I haven't really planned anything. Um, so I, I think the first piece I wrote might have been an interview with Trent Woodhill, which is a very good place to start, luckily for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally, from there, read Moneyball on the way to a T20 game because uh, I'd never read it. I read the books and I've read a lot of articles about it, but I never, sorry, I, I watched the movie, I should say. I never um, actually read the book. So I did that. Um, and then I did, I signed up for a Coursera course on, mm. uh, the, I think it's called The Mass Behind Moneyball. Um and at this stage, that's kind of all I knew was that that was there. Um, and then Crick Info had just hired um, uh, Gaurav uh, from uh, – who did he work for? Sports Mechanics. Sports Mechanics. And he also worked for someone else, didn't he? Did he come from Ch- Super Kings? Or oh, I can't remember. Uh, um, I know no, he worked for the West Super... Indies as well. So Yeah, he worked for the Barbados hired. Tridents. Yeah. yeah, Tridents. You're right. Yeah. So he'd been hired and brought across, which meant that I had access to someone – who was doing it and little like I didn't know I'd never really been connected with the Crick Info um, stats guys which is a bit silly looking back on it because I'd always used stats guru quite heavily in my pieces well you were in touch with Zaltzman so in a way you were (laughs) exactly so I so at that stage I sort of knew that the stats team existed a little bit um I, I, I was talking to Gorov, and also, I'm, as you know, I'm a big basketball fan. Mm-hmm. And it was around that same period that I um, I massively got back into basketball because of Golden State um, and the three-point revolution, and, and I suppose Houston Rockets is part of that as well. Sure. But the sort of the science behind it and how sport can be revolutionized so quickly. Um, I've never been a huge baseball fan, but through Moneyball, obviously, I started looking for other baseball books and, um, as well. And um, so I sort of... Through that, I think, I can't remember the, I think it's a Stephen Shea book I read. So I read Moneyball, then I read Stephen Shea's book um, uh, on basketball, uh, which might be called Spatial Awareness. Or, I can't remember. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the book. Uh, yeah. So I read a book on, I, I read uh, Moneyball, um, Stephen Shea's book, and I read another book on baseball. Um, and then I read a book on football, um, I, I should say uh, soccer, for the Australian and American people listening. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, and then from then it sort of, I started to put things together of, well, wait a minute. And I'd already had this idea. In fact, the reason I interviewed Trent first was I think about a year or two earlier, I was tweeting through a one day game and I reckon it was Jay Dernback was playing. Mm. And if it wasn't a one day, maybe it was a T20 and, and, and he was in the big bash. I can't remember, but he was on the TV. I remember being in Australia and tweeting and they, his, his economy rate was like 8.7. And I was like, that's such a useless stat to me, mm-hmm. his economy rate, because he bowls a huge proportion at the depth. And at that stage, we didn't know. I think I looked it up recently. He bowls the third most overs um, uh, percentage-wise in the depth um, in the world over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so he bowls something like 70% of his overs uh, between 14 and 20, uh, which, which is incredible, which, of course, his economy rate is going to be up. So I tweeted about that, and Trent Woodhill got back. So I'd already started thinking about how we could move stats forward a little bit in cricket. But once I started, especially because I do understand basketball to you know quite a decent level. Mm-hmm. So once I started understanding that and I spent a lot of time on basketball reference and, and, and this sort of stuff, I started to get involved in all that. So when Sambit said that, you know, I want you to cover the big bash, I basically said, okay, but if I'm going to cover it, we're going to go all in. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to literally try and rewrite the book on how we're going to cover T20 cricket. And he's like, that's what I want you to do. I want you to write a template, essentially, so in future we can send other people um, to do this. Okay. Um, and so the first game I went to... Um, that was in Melbourne, right? The first game? No, I reckon the first game was... Sydney for some reason. So maybe I'd gone to a game in Melbourne. I, I remember the first the first one I wrote about that I really remember was um, a Sydney Thunder game. And Sydney Thunder had beaten up, want to say Perth um, uh, in a game in, in a game where Moses Enriquez had been dropped three times mm-hmm. um, and gone on to make seventy and become man of the match. Um, and so I wrote a piece about how the man of the match, you know. Uh, it, it's you know it it basically we don't know a lot about t20 cricket we don't know whose contribution in the game is the most important yeah uh, they still get out of the match to people like, oh well you scored a 50 uh, exact chase of uh, 170 so you're the man of the match uh, exactly but, yeah. and had he been caught when he when he one of the multiple times you know like was he i, I think Got a feeling that Pat Cummins had played really well in that game, but had catches dropped off him, maybe made 20 or 30 with the bat as well. Anyway, I, so I wrote a piece about how I can't tell you who the best player in this game is, and no one can. Um, and what we need is, you know, to look at that. And I remember Sambit being furious <laughs> at that piece, being like, you can't say that. You can't say that we don't know what we're talking about. I was like, but we don't. Um, and so from that point onwards, I spoke, basically, I talked to everyone I could in the Big Bash who would talk to me. Um, I did some really interesting things too, which now looking back as an analyst was quite handy. I interviewed, um, God, was it Mark Skeckity? Yeah, Mark Skeckity, the um, yeah. Queensland fast bowler. He interviewed, so he bowled, I think, against strikers. He was playing for the Heat, and the strikers um, needed 16 or so off the last over. So I literally, I contacted um, the media manager of the Heat and said, look, I think we're going out on the same flight tomorrow. If there's any way I can grab him for five minutes, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, he's in the dugout now. I just want to go down and talk to him, which in international cricket never happens. I ended up spending half an hour talking to him about what information he knew going into that over about each batsman, mm-hmm. what, how the boundaries helped, what his best ball was, what he did differently because of a batsman and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I started writing pieces like that, which, to be fair, hadn't really ever been written in cricket before. But that's a very um, American-style thing. Of, you know, you, LeBron James passes to Kyle Korver in the corner, and mm-hmm. you go in, and everyone goes and talks to him about why the ball ended up with Kyle Korver. Jesus, you're corner. still in the Cavaliers era. Come on, <laughs> move to Lakers already. That, that LeBron thing, um, 
it, it's such an important thing. I think about that, the fact that he knew where every player was on the court at all mm-hmm. times um, just shows the sheer level of you know intellectual genius that goes behind being a player like LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps that he's a smart person, I think, in general as well. But just the basketball smarts to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and I've had conversations with Kyron Pollard too about like you know innings when you realize that some of and and it hasn't come out of these plays anyway. That's a that's an aside nerdy thing. Yes. Which yes. I wish people would be able to write about if cricket was a. Uh, with, um, but uh, you need kind of you need that kind of access to which kind of, cricket is the access is a problem. I mean, you're yeah, in that's a, what I mean. You're I, in I a, wish the access was there. I mean, you're in a unique position in the sense that you know you've written about cricket. Now you've worked with players, so you are in that zone where you can manage sort of both those things. But typically, for people that uh, are good with numbers and understand numbers and want to write about cricket, won't have access. Uh, so. No, of course, but, but also most journalists don't have access because mm. at the end of the game, we can't just go and talk to five players and be like, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Um, anyway, but yeah. uh, uh, so, so, so yes, the I question really was, how did you like get uh, St. Lucia stars to give you the job, right? So that's well, what we're getting to. It's kind of before St. Lucia. That's what, kind of where I'm getting at. So, so I wrote a couple of pieces like that. Um, mm-hmm. I also did some analysis pieces about certain players, and we started to look at things. Me and Gaurav did a game where we watched it together mm-hmm. via Slack, and where he used his normal um, his data analysis, and I used my sort of normal cricket analysis, and we put it together on that particular game, which was which was really good. I started to look at deeper numbers and um and 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 other things, and because I think I was the first person to ever really write about the Big Bash in a non newsy, non superficial way. Um, uh, Trent and I think I might have had a conversation with Stephen Fleming at this stage as well, where they were just like, um, "What you're doing is incredible, and keep doing it," sort of thing. Mm. And then not long after that, Trent, uh, who was the GM at or whatever, was that uh, Fleming telling you that, or are you telling Fleming? <laughs> that no, was serious. <laughs> um, no, I, I remember Fleming saying. I remember his exact turn of phrase because I'd never met him before. But um, and and he sort of sat down. We were at a pub in Melbourne, and he sort of went, "What you're doing is so interesting." Um, and I think it was just the first time. And a lot of those guys are like baseball and basketball and football fans, so they're used to that sort of coverage outside of cricket. Mm-hmm. But we hadn't done stuff like that. Even in Test cricket, we don't do stuff like that realistically that often. It's starting to come through the game now. So. I think he was quite interested in, in, in that. And so Trent had basically said, look, we would want you um, uh, to be involved. Uh, would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, I, I would happily be interested. And then nothing sort of happened. And occasionally I would help players or franchises um, for free. And Melbourne Stars didn't end up giving me the job for that year. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I can tell this story now. <laughs> I think we're far enough away. So the next year I went back and I did even more stuff um, on the Big Bash. And because um, Sambit and I were trying to save costs, I only went to Sydney and Melbourne because mm-hmm. I figured all the teams are going to have to come through Sydney and Melbourne. There's four of the eight teams are based there. Mm-hmm. Um, and without really meaning to, I think I did like almost every Thunder and every um, Stars game. Uh, and again, this time I actually knew what I was doing. I come up with my own metrics. I think by this stage I had True Economy working for me. I was working with Jonas, who has runs above um, 
uh, average. Uh, Crick Info were building some back-end stuff, which was incredible with Shiver. Um, so there's a lot of really cool things sort of coming along. I understood a lot more because it wasn't like I'd read three books by then. I'd read 20 books. And, you know, I followed, um, you know, uh, a lot of the guys who write the, uh, this sort of stuff around the world. and A lot of bloggers um, who got hired in, the bar- in basketball. I now would follow them as a blogger and then they'd get a job for Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't mm. know why. I did that just to annoy you, but um, so so at this stage I knew a little bit more. So I wrote heaps about the Melbourne Stars, and and they obviously hadn't hired me for that year. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, this this old guy, uh, you know, an old businessman was on their board, and he came to the thing, and they they come last, I think, or second last, I can't remember now. No, it was last, I think they came that year and this old guy comes to the board and he's like reading out all this stuff and he's printed out all this stuff in front of him and he's going through piece after piece and going blah 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 and we know this and we and then at the end like trent and and phlegm are looking at each other going is he just reading out jared's work because <laughs> they'd obviously read it because i was almost like a, i was an analyst for them by accident because i was at so many of their games mm. um and then, and then he said, how come this journalist who I've never heard of knows more about our team than, our, than we do? And so that was the point where I think not long after that, they um, offered me a position. But in the meantime, I had written a piece for, uh, no, sorry, I've been contacted by a guy called Muhammad Khan, mm. who was the general manager of the Jamaica Tellawallers um, a few months earlier. And he wanted me to come out and do not so much a Moneyball thing, but kind of like a behind the scenes thing on the the professional practices he was bringing into the CPL. So Jamaica had won under him uh, the year before. I think he was hoping that obviously they'd have another big year. He wanted to show what could be done in cricket and what was holding cricket back. And uh, he seemed really interesting. And I tried to get up with Crick Info, but um, it was just a bit too last minute and and we couldn't uh, couldn't get it done. Yeah. And he ended up leaving Jamaica and getting the job with St. Lucia. And when he got the job with St. Lucia, I think by that stage, I'd written a piece for Wisden on the birth of analytics, where mm. I talked about Nathan Lehman, Krishna Tunga, um, uh, the Islamabad United guys, um, the Hong Kong uh, analyst who, who used to work for Sussex, uh, the North Ants guy. You know, basically trying to say, you know, there has been a lot of people doing some really interesting stuff, even if it hasn't been as organized as what American sports has been, uh, uh, um, done. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been the money in it. And so I wrote about Muhammad because he was obviously a part of that as well. You know, he comes from a Wall Street background and is now general manager of a cricket team. So it was quite an interesting thing. And then uh, he got me involved with St. Lucia. So it was sort of Melbourne Stars that got me interested in it. But it was St. Lucia um, that offered me the first actual job. But it all comes back to just me writing about this stuff. And and you know what I'm like. I get a bit obsessed with these sorts Mm -hmm. of things. So um, I remember like about a week after first talking to, um, to Trent, um, and maybe even interviewing him, I'd like come up with all these metrics and, and plans and um, and I'd be emailing him and, and WhatsApping him and he'd be like, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> um, and I'd be like, oh, no, there's so much we can do here. And so mm-hmm. for the next, you know, two years, I really, really delved into that. And I'm still doing it, I suppose. Uh, really, really delved into that. And and I would write these pieces and you, you, I would watch an IPL game and watch teams follow what I had written. Um, and they weren't doing it a week before. And you started to realize that because, like as I said, before me, it was really only Freddie um, that was writing these sorts of things. Sometimes Tim Wigmore would obviously write a piece. There was um, there were some uh, writers coming through that were, were, were doing it on blogs, like Joe Harris. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, White Ball Stats, yeah. Red yeah, Clive um, obviously had, I think, had done a few blogs at that stage. He certainly tweeted about stuff. Uh, there were Jonas. Uh, oh, um, um, Kartikeya, of course. But... 
I, because of my, uh, uh, you know, the fact I was on Crick Info and was probably a little bit more well-known um, to begin with anyway, you know, if, if I wrote something, teams are really, really starting to take um, note of it um, in a way that Dan Weston could do um, twice as much work as me and people weren't noticing it. And right. I think... You know, I've now I've now joked to um, Sam, but that you know, for about a year, every time I wrote about T20, it probably just um, uh, doubled the chance of me getting a job offer, <laughs> uh, and that's kind of what it was like. And I hadn't thought until Trent had contacted me about it and chatted to me about it. I'd never really thought about working for a team, um, and then obviously, then I was in a weird position because so I think Melbourne Stars had told me that they were going to hire me, but I hadn't seen a contract. Hmm. Um, St. Lucia were going to hire me, but I hadn't seen a contract. And also, they didn't hire me before the draft. So I was in a weird position from a journalist point of view. So at that stage, I actually had a lot of teams. Um, I helped Bangalore with one of their disastrous drafts. Mm. I want to have no credit with that because uh, <laughs> if I worked properly with them, I think they would have done it. They had me and they had Joe Harris, and they had an analytics team. And it was just a disaster behind the scenes. I will tell that story one day because it is quite funny. Maybe not quite now, but... Um, <laughs> um, you know, I helped okay. them. Uh, I talked to Dan Christian a bit when he was at Nottingham. I talked to Dan Christian a bit when he was at Hobart. Um, I sent some stuff to George Bailey when he was at Hobart. Um, uh, uh, I chatted to Raul Dravid a bit um, when uh, when we got together about stuff and, and you know, the way that India, India A and the under-19 team could start to look at stuff, especially Red Bull stuff. Um, Ashan Masood um, I've talked to. Uh, Hampshire I've talked to. So I got to a point where... I wasn't charging anyone for any of this stuff because I was still a journalist and I, you know, uh, I, I wanted to have that sort of integrity as a journalist. Um, and then, but once St. Lucia actually came and offered me a job and Melbourne Stars had told me there was going to be one after that, that was the time I felt confident enough to leave um, journalism mm. and uh, put my toe into the water with St. Lucia. Um, and that's sort of, uh, that's how I got there, I suppose. Um, you know, do you remember when you asked the question? Yeah, 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 I do. I do. I still do. Um, <laughs> You, you know, you were a cricket writer for a journalist for that long and you don't come from cricket writing or journalism background, uh, traditional sense anyway. Um, and you are a data analyst without a, you know, when somebody thinks of a data analyst, you know, basically they're thinking of a nerdy guy with like thick glasses and, uh, you know, stuck in his laptop. Uh, sometimes two unfair, of those, unfairly, two of those three things because based, most the of the data analysts are quite dapper, handsome people. Um, um so, you know, given your background, you know, from film and then writing um, to where you're trying to get into um, analysis, you know, there are needs for, you know, writing qu codes to dig out numbers and then uh, running and maintaining database um, and then getting that numbers from that and then presenting it in a form that, you know, you present it to your uh, coaching staff or the players um, in a consumable form, um, you know, you don't have a professional background in that, you know, technical background no. in that. So how do you manage that aspect of the uh, jobs demand there? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably two kinds of analysts. There's kind of the traditional former player style analyst who, um, who becomes a video person. Hmm. Um, and then there's the more, I suppose, the Joe Harris, Kartikeya, um, complete outsider. Um, you know, I've talked to analysts who were really good analysts in cricket who couldn't tell you who couldn't tell you that a bowler had. Or no, they couldn't tell you what an off cutter is, right? Hmm. And yet, because of their data analysis skills, they're incredible. I suppose what I do 
is um, almost a third um, one because I, I, I have a lot of different random skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not as good as, you know, someone like you who's an engineer at maths, but I'm pretty good at maths and I understand it. Um, and I'm a very quick learner. So, you know, it didn't take me long to work out what was important and what wasn't important. It doesn't mean I'm not going to make mistakes like any, um, like other data analysts yeah. um, sometimes do as well. But I do understand it to a level that, um, that I can be in a conversation, uh, with, with, uh, you know, a hardcore dancer analyst and we, we can, we, we can chat about those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got enough skill there. Um, coding, um, I'm still learning coding. So, um, I'm certainly not an expert, but I was lucky enough um, in that to have, you know, access uh, to um, Jonas, um, uh, who who did coding for me. I've had other people do coding for me um, as well. Once I've got the database that I need, Hmm. to a certain point, I just need to ask um, the the occasional question. Yeah. And obviously... um, in the long term, I'd like to get to a point where I don't have to do that. But when I was with Crick Info, that was quite handy as well, being able to, you know, send Shiva a question and then have Shiva break down um, yeah. the sheer ridiculousness of what I wanted to know. Um, uh, so uh, I suppose there was that side. But some of the other things I kind of have always have. I, I've I've always been a bit of a technique guy. Um, so that most uh, there's a lot of data analysis in cricket where a player, you know, they can tell you where a batsman has a hole in his technique, mm-hmm. for instance, through the numbers. They can't actually tell you the next step of how he might fix it and what coaching methods might help and how you might exploit it if you're bowling against him mm. and those sorts of things, which I do have. I mean, I've been involved in cricket since I was two weeks old um, and I might not be very <laughs> good at it physically um but uh you know i captained uh, cricket teams i've been on selection com- um, committees of cricket teams um i still play now and i have a you know a much a broader understanding of that um plus you know the 10 years of of, of playing at the top level uh sorry of writing about cricket at the top level <laughs> i level. thought, like, playing, I thought like 10 years of creative liberty uh, there yeah, you remember my 10 years of playing tests uh, that we all we can't stop talking about. No, but you know what I mean? Writing about it at the top level as well, especially for Crick Info where you have to look at all that sort of stuff. So I, I've got those sorts of things. Then I've got basically I am a journalist, so I'm actually interested in information in a way that a normal data anal- uh, you know, um, uh, analyst is not. Um, mm. uh, so I will, I'm very good at sourcing information that other people don't, don't come, on, um, come to you know, handle with. So, for instance, when I was at Solution, we didn't have video mm. because um, the owner wouldn't pay for video. So I struck up a deal with um, uh, Crick and Gif. Um, where I would offer them um, uh, some articles in in return for video. Right. Now, a normal data a- 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 analyst is not going to have the relationship to be able to do that, the, the name to be able to do that, mm. and probably they're not thinking that that's even an option. Yeah. Whereas I was like, we need video. How am I going to gerrymander video here? Um, and so, you know, little things like that. You just used the word gerrymander in... Okay. Yeah, I did actually. You're right. Yeah, right. But it is gerrymandering in, in a way. Like I'm sort of redistricting what, okay. yeah, redistricting what Crick and Gift do. Okay. Uh, you know, um, in order to use it from a, for an analysis tool, and it was actually it's quite an, a decent analysis tool um, going forward. So, so you know, I'm then in a position where I've got. I've got all those different things. And then I remember talking to Joe Harris. So Joe Harris worked for Bangalore, and I think he's probably worked for some other teams since then um, as well. And, and him saying that I had such an advantage, which I hadn't even thought about, which is my entire last 10, 15 years has been how to best present 
complicated information to mm. people simplest way forward. And like, you know, cricket is coming, you know, incredibly different packages from, you know, university educated business owners um, through to guys who, you know, never um, got any education after 15. You know, there's there's a sense of there's not that much different than communicating to, you know, the wider world sure. uh, where, you know, you, you know, uh, I've got to I've got to communicate to a 15 year old um Indian kid whose uh, English is his second language, mm-hmm. and he's got to understand my article. And but I've also got to, you know, talk to you know a bunch of university educated um, South African fans, um, and both have to understand what I'm saying and be entertained enough and interested enough to keep going forward. So, uh, you know, that is a huge advantage coming into this sort of field where you're kind of doing that um, already. And then on top of all that, you know, I, I think that. Um, I think there's a certain point where, as I said, a lot of analysis has been um, done in the corner in a in a in a sort of a dusty space, and sure. the analyst doesn't have a big. There, that was never going to be me, as you know. <laughs> I was never going to be. You're not a of, big fan of dusty corners. Yeah. So I mean, I, and this was. I, I don't think this is ideal, but like St. Lucia got me to the first game I was there. Got me to run the bowlers meeting. Um. And present opposition research, mm-hmm. which, you know, considering I'd never worked in cricket before and didn't have all the back end stuff, the video and all the other stuff that I would have liked. I didn't, you know, but the fact is that I've done so much public speaking and, um, you know, so many different things that there's all there's also a there's a certain um, level where I could wing that. Yeah. Um, and then, but you still, I mean, that it's an interesting point because you still have to have the information. um and the right kind of information that uh, needs to be presented to the people, right? So when, yeah, you me- when you run a meeting like that on you know bowlers meeting on a day-to-day basis, what sort of information are you putting together? Um, you know, does it vary from bowler to bowler? What are you doing there? Well, it was, it was a huge learning curve for me, and very uh, very quickly because you've got essentially I. I had started, so I'd been hired as I can't. Uh, you've got my title. There was a, yeah. a special head, assistant, in a head anal- analytics, head of analytics, and, and special, special assistant, assistant to the traveling GM. general manager. Yeah. <laughs> um, the George Costanza, Costanza, Costanza yeah, Lucia. Yeah. In fact, the whole the whole team was almost the George Costanza, but that's a whole different Ooh. point. Um, or maybe uh, they're Kramer. Who knows? So I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing, right? Mm. And I'd only reported really to Muhammad Khan, who's the general manager, coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't 100% sure what they expected from me. I was still hoping to get sports mechanics um, information or um, or quick quick um, quick information, of which I got neither. Um, I think I talked to Brad Hodge once or twice coming in, and it was always about. It was always the stuff that I was very good at. So they, they would say, you know, uh, we need a bowler. Uh, we need a bowler for this point of the game. Can you find us the best bowler for this point of the game? Well, I could do that mm. in a heartbeat, right? I've probably yeah. written four articles where I'd already talked about that sort of stuff, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, you know, just cut and paste from Crick Info and send it to them as a report. Yeah. That's a completely different thing than what does a bowler need at the top of his mark, of which I'd done nothing. Right. Right. So I was quite lucky, actually. Muhammad Sami was there, and Muhammad Sami um, sat down with me over the, a couple of days beforehand, and we had a bit of a chat. Um, and Mitch McClanahan was involved, and I chatted to him once or twice as well. And so I had a basic idea of what they wanted, but the problem was that I didn't have access to a lot of the information that they right. needed. Um, so I kind of so 
to start with, I probably went with things that I would want to know beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, there were little things that were important. I remember, I think we played Colin Munro in his first game. Uh, me and Muhammad Sami watched a lot of footage of Colin Munro, and we worked out that there's a particular shot that he plays that he's sort of addicted to, um, which if you can get the length uh, right, um, he gets a lot of top edges and he drags on a lot. Hmm. Um, that was really, really interesting. And, and he we still does, by the way. Yeah, he's still got that shot. And he probably won't ever get rid of it because it actually also gets him a lot of runs yeah. and it means you can't tie him down. Yeah. So, But when you've got Mitch McLennan and um, uh, Kesrick Williams yeah. and uh, Mohamed Sami in the team, you've got three bowlers through pace or bounce who have the ability to maybe make that a bit of a problem for him. So, you know, we could do... So we would get through that. Um, but then other times I felt like... I was literally talking about players' form, which means nothing. Yes. <laughs> it's, just, it's of no use to a bowler. Um, we didn't have a lot of wagon wheel data, and what we did have, I didn't entirely trust. Um, uh, with the with the batsmen, um, I generally left them alone unless I thought there was a bowler with a particular variation that the uh, players would not like. Uh, sorry, would not know about. Um, but with the bowlers, you know, essentially what you, you have to do is you'd have to find the ideal line or length, either based on the pitch conditions or on the batsman's weakness mm-hmm. um, that you're that you're trying to do. And then you have to explain maybe what a plan B is, maybe what a plan C is. Um, and, and, and the other thing that they usually want to know is where you're trying to score. So over time, I worked this out. But first, the first. First one actually went OK. The second second meeting I had, we went in with a particular plan of we wanted to bowl a, uh, a certain way because of the guy on a pitch. Um, and I think the bowlers just didn't trust me and didn't go with it. Um, and uh, it probably cost us the game. It took them a couple of overs to realize that what we'd come up with actually uh, was uh, was going to work. And by that stage, we'd given them a bit of a head start. And I think we ended up losing that game off the last ball. So if we hadn't given them that head start, I think we would have been in a much better position. Um and and then over time, so you know, I did a, a slightly different role for Melbourne Stars um, because I was I worked remotely for them, but I would write up a similar plan of, mm. you know, I, I would basically write up a plan for them that could be shared with the bowler, uh, the bowling coach, uh, the bowlers, or the captain. Um, and then what you uh, you know what what you what you're sort of looking at to a certain point is, you know, um, as an analyst, you're like, well, what are the conditions? What are the opposition and what have our team been doing? So that then goes towards what team you should be playing. Hmm. Then you're like, uh, so with, with fast bowlers, you're looking for what are the weak spots where the batsman doesn't score. Mm-hmm. Um, for spinners, it's a bit different and it depends on the spinner. Some spinners want incredible information. So unlike Michael Beer would just look at hours and hours of video on his own. He didn't need anything, but hmm. he was doing his own analysis. Um, other spinners just want to know if they sweep or reverse sweep. And some want to know if he, you know, where where their main boundary options are. Hmm. Uh, but there are other things you can look at for spinners as well. Um, but that just depends. Um, you're then looking at stuff for the captain. So you're looking at specifically what kind of fields will work for different players. Um, what kind of bowling combinations we could use when different batsmen are in. What kind of bowling you have to use to certain batsmen. Um, and then you're also looking at things for your batting as well, which goes usually to your captain and your coach of, you know, who could be a pinch hitter potentially or who should we move up the order in this innings, who maybe could move down the order, who's more suited to this bowling attack or this pitch. Um, and those are the sorts of basic things that you are that you are looking for um, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. And then, you know, uh, you're 
you're, you're then trying to fill in blanks a little bit. So, for instance, sometimes, especially in associate cricket, you might come across a player who looks like a fat Pakistani uncle from a wedding. Um, and no one knows anything about this guy because he's from Singapore or he's from, uh, I'm trying to think of another. Uh, Pakistan. Oman or somewhere like that. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's, he's from a he's from a cricket nation that maybe yeah. is not as well known or that your team hasn't played against so much. Um, but he happens to have a killer back of the hand slow ball. And I'm talking about a specific guy, Maboob from Singapore. Yeah. Like when I was talking to Scotland, I had to say, look, this guy's going to look ridiculous. He's he's a slow bowler. I don't know what pace he bowls, but he can't be over seventy five miles an hour. Um, he looks a little bit overweight. He looks old. But you have to trust me on this, that um, when he bowls his back in the hand slow ball, there's so many revs on it mm-hmm. that it drops so much that even if you pick it, it is still a very hard ball to play, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes it's not just about the analysis. It's almost about coloring um, what you're telling them. And, you know, um, eh. and other times it's about getting information out of players. I remember... Keswick Williams in, in St. Lucia at one stage, we'd all had a 10-minute chat about Hetmeyer when Hetmeyer was coming through. Everyone sort of had a bit of an opinion on him, um, but no one really had a, a tight plan. Mm. And this was quite early on in his career, obviously. And Keswick Williams was just like, man, I'll just bowl a ball and I'll have him caught it mid-on and mid-off. Um, and I was like, that's interesting. I'd like to follow that and see what happens. And, of course, he bowls a slow ball and Hetmeyer hits it straight to mid-off. Um, <laughs> and... And so sometimes it's literally, and, and you got to remember that a lot of players, they're not public speakers. Mm. So getting them to chat in an open situation is really tough, especially if you're a young kid from Antigua and you've got David Warner and Darren Sammy and Kyron Pollard in the room. Mm. Um, you're probably, and you, you know, you're, and you're not yet a star player. You're probably not going to say, actually, guys, I'm not sure that's the right idea. I think if we, uh, if we bowl, uh, you know, a fifth stump length, uh, a fifth stump line to him just back of a length. I think um, we can get him uh, with, a, with a floating slip. They might not say that in front of the group. So sometimes a lot of the job is like trying to get the information out of everyone um, and then put it together as a package um, and and then present it back to people. Um, and so there's a lot of different factors and a lot of different parts of it. And, you know, sometimes you're looking at advanced ball-by-ball metrics, mm. Uh to, to work out exactly the line and lengths to bowl to a player. Um, and other days, you're literally watching a player play on uh, YouTube. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's interesting that, that uh, you brought those uh, players' name, you know, Warner, Sammy, and Pollard. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, they have uh, read some of your pieces at some point on Crick Info or wherever else. And, uh, you know, like, oh, what a dick. Or like, oh, this guy. What is- a genius. I love him. I want to have him. Or... What a genius. Uh, whatever, right? Um, but then now you are an employee of a team uh, the players are playing in. Um, so, you know, uh, how from being a journalist to actually working where you are supposed to write objectively about the players um, and to working with them as a team, how do you make them buy into your concepts and uh, and also they look at like well he has never played any representative cricket uh he's not really an analyst he was a writer so there are a lot of hurdles to get over before the information no matter how good it is for them to accept um you know especially someone like you you may have better chance with somebody that's you know new kid from antigua you you know uh, he might be listening to you a lot more than say somebody's like well you know i played test cricket for seven, eight years, you know, who are you to come and tell me? 
uh, you don't know cricket. So how do you manage to get through all this? Yeah, it's weird when you think about it anyway, because the kind of analysis I do is not even that common yet uh, Mm. with all teams. So if you're David Warner, he probably, I'm trying to think, when he first started for sure, he wouldn't have had an analyst. Um, I can't remember when Dean Hill sort of came into that position, but I I think David Warner might be pre that. And there's a lot of guys like that um, that have played beforehand. And a lot of guys have played with a lot of analysts that they don't know what they do. I remember one analyst saying to me, a senior player came to him at the end of the season one time and said, what is it you actually do? (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, so I think there's a lot, there's a lot of that that goes on. I think had I had my time again in St. Lucia, St. Lucia was such a cluster fuck of an organization. Hmm. Uh, um, and, you know, obviously the owners have been moved on by the CPL now. Um, uh, Muhammad Khan, who hired me, lasted four games as general manager before he quit. Um, I became general manager after seven games. We didn't have a team manager when we started. It was just a fucking disaster to walk into, hmm. uh, which has actually helped me a lot because I understand how, how professionalism is so important. Um, on so many little things now. Um, But I think if I had my time again, I would have at least called a meeting with the senior players um, and said to them, look, uh, I'm not going to write about anything that happens um, uh, here. You know, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to write about my relationship with Darren Sammy or, or anything sort of like yeah, that. What happens um, in Vegas? chatting thing. to you guys first. Okay. Yeah. The same way that you guys could write a book and slag me off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I will always come to you. I'm not here to get a story specifically. Um, you know, I'm here because I think I could do this as, as a job and this is my first chance to come in. I didn't do that and it probably did cause some problems. Um, I, and it wasn't like I didn't chat with them. I, sp- I think I spoke to Polly on the first night I was there. Um, uh, I had breakfast with Warner a couple of days in um, and they both obviously, they both knew that I was, uh, I was a journalist and that I'd written about them. Um, I think I had a chat with Darren Sammy about it as well, you know, quite early on. Um, and some of the, as you said, the younger players, it's not a problem. They just, if you're wearing the uniform and you're chatting to the coach, you're part of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not a problem. But yeah, with the older players, I think I wish I probably had maybe got some of them in a group together and explained it a little bit better. So you, um, are you saying that the converse is that, uh, you know, you had issues communicating your information to the, especially the senior players? No, it's not even that I had – it's not even that. It's that I think if you have a big clear the air meeting with people to start with and you're completely honest and be like, look, I'm here because I, you know, I've been a writer for 10 years and I've really enjoyed it, but I want to try something else. I want to be an analyst. You know, even to talk to them like on, a, on a, an obvious level and say, look, if I want to be an analyst, I can't come here, write about you guys and see you all off because no one's ever going to hire me again. Mm. Um, so – you know, there's a, there's a, I think if I just had that, I think the other stuff that you're talking about, that wouldn't have gone away if I'd had that meeting. I might have had slightly better relationships with them, so they might have trusted me a bit, a little bit more. Mm. And over the course of the season, it was, it was an incredible season that season in that it was so disastrous that it brought everyone together. So halfway through, everyone was sort of, you know, we might have been, uh, we, we were, we were broken as a team, but we were actually quite close as a unit. Um, so some of those things happen naturally, but I think I could have made it better by being a bit more honest, um, holding my hand up. And I, you know, I, I think that that's probably maybe um, a, a more sensible way of doing this and being like, guys, I've written this. 
um, you're probably, you know, some, your friend's going to say, I've been hired and, and, and I've written this about you before. You know, if that's the case, you come to me and chat to me about it and uh, we'll talk through it. But that was my job beforehand and now my job is to help you. So was there any, uh, uh, like, sniping, slagging, slagging you off uh, behind your back that went on that uh, you became aware of? I mean, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, that has happened. But I think that happens in cricket, <laughs> even if you come from a normal background. <laughs> um, it's a pretty bitchy industry, um, sure. realistically, because everyone kind of knows everyone. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of that. I've certainly had that before. I've certainly had um, senior players I've worked with um, contact future employers to tell them that uh, – that I'm shit and I don't know what I'm doing or that I'm a bad influence. I, I don't even know what they told them, to be honest. Sure. Um, uh, but that, that has happened. Um, and, uh, you know, the, part of that is not just... It, the journalism thing's really interesting, right? Because in some ways, being around for 10 years and them knowing my name coming in... So I would say that most of the senior players knew my name, sure. right, when I came in, one way or another. Um, or had been told coming in um, who I was, right? Mm. So they are like, well, he's been around for 10 years. There's almost a, a level of respect there, if you know what I mean. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know what cricketers are like? They, they feel like everyone has to earn it. And, you know, I've been around for the, that long. Think about it. If I was an analyst that was coming in for my first job and had never worked for a professional in professional cricket before, mm-hmm. I don't think I would, have quite, I would have quite got that level of respect at times as well. So it does it does sort of play both ways. But you've also got regardless of who I am and how good I am at my job, there are senior players who don't think an analyst needs to be there yeah. and doesn't need to help. And there's, you know, um, there's the, the Graham Swan, Nathan Lehman story of like, you know, Graham Swan would always question everything Nathan Lehman said in the England team. And, and as Nathan Lehman would say, well, if you average, what would what the average 28 with the ball, 20 odd with the bat and catch flies in the slips, um, then maybe anal- you don't need as much analysis <laughs> as another player either, especially if you're a spinner. Mm-hmm. So there, there are lots of those players, and, and I, I suspect that the player um, who, who bits behind my back, um, it, it could have been more about that and less about me personally and me being a journalist. Um, uh, so you, you, you don't know about that sort of stuff, but it's already a weird thing to come into these sorts of these sorts of places, and I don't think that's going to be any different Um if you're a psychologist and you started working with a franchise and franchises hadn't haven't technically haven't used um, psychologists very much, yeah, it's going to be a weird thing to begin with. And it doesn't matter if you're a world famous psychologist or if you used to be a journalist who became a psychologist. Right, like they're still coming into that 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 environment is weird, and um, you know, and it's also. You know, I am a I am a stronger character than than as I said. There's a there's a lot of incredible analysis done in IPL teams by people who would never speak up in a meeting, mm. um, and would never go, oh, "Coach, I think that's where you're wrong in front of a group of players." Right. Right. Um, and so I'm not that kind of person. Um, and and you know, I am going to do those sorts of things. And I, I remember a really interesting moment in you know um, for Solution when. Our players thought that a player on the opposition had claimed a catch mm. um, that had bounced. And I'd seen it two or three times, but I was trying to do analysis, and I was pretty sure that it had carried. Mm-hmm. And the players were going mental, and then finally, you know, a you know, big senior player comes over and sort of leans over me and goes, what do you think? And I was like, I thought it carried. 
Now, the easier answer would have been to go with the group there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know I annoyed some, some of the other players then. But the truth is, I did think it carried. I don't think it mattered. And the game was going ahead anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, you know, there's a, there's a, I'm going to have a different relationship than, than, other, than other people anyway. But now that I've done it for a while and, you know, I mean, you can imagine, well, you, don't, you know, you can imagine the kind of information I have on David Warner. I was with him during his ban, mm-hmm. right? I could have made a fortune selling mm-hmm. on David Warner stories. Um, and there are times I even think David Warner wanted me to write, you know, stories on his behalf and I still didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, that wasn't what I was there for. I might one day write a memoir about my time going, you know, this sort of transition period because it's quite interesting. But I'm not going to write a, you know, a piece um, or a book about um, David Warner and what I've learned and what Darren Sammy's like behind closed doors and, um, you know, what Stephen Fleming was like to work with and all, those sorts of things, like, on a short-term basis are just pointless hmm. um, for me. And especially if I want to work in this industry, um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be looking at doing that. So, look, I try and get have good relationships with people the same way that I did when I was a journalist, the same way I did when I, I'm a filmmaker. Um, you know, it's no, it doesn't matter if I'm trying to get an interview out of Srinivasan and I'm trying to keep him in the room mm-hmm. uh, or if I'm um, trying to, you know, explain why we need to bowl a particular length to a top-level international bowler. Sure. I still... I have to build a rapport with them um, and deal with it that way and... Uh, it, my background uh, at, at a certain point, halfway through any tournament I've ever worked on, is pointless, I would say. Sure. I mean, talking of uh, weird clusterfuck stuff, you were also the special assistant, right, to the general manager at St. Lucia Stars, and eventually were the general manager, um, while also being the data analyst. Is that correct? I kind of had to give it up only because it was. It came to a point where the two jobs were very hard um, to handle. So it's a, it's a weird situation, of course. I started as working for Brad Hodge, mm-hmm. and I ended up being his boss. Um, in that space of one CPL season. In the, yeah, in the space of a week, really. <laughs> so, so, so what it, did you what did you do as the first the special assistant and then the actual general manager? What, what does a general manager of a T Twenty franchise do? Because we kind of have an idea of what general managers in professional teams do like for example uh, daryl mori or somebody else like that um i but... haven't i haven't abused um the chinese government recently although I'm, I'm more than happy to you should slag them off on twitter and see what happens yeah. um yeah it was, it was, so it was quite interesting so yes yeah, so i had the conversation with brad with brad's just like i don't mind if you keep doing the analysis but you have to know that you're the general manager now and it's weird if you're in the dugout and then i talked to acsu as well because you know you have to yeah your accreditation mm-hmm. um pmoa your player match official access pass and all that sort of stuff so i had to talk to them they weren't they weren't over the moon with the general manager being in the dugout mm-hmm. uh, um uh, as it was, so I ended up not doing analysis on the last couple of games. In fact, I ended up sitting in the press box in Barbados for the last game, um, and then actually went out on the on the banks and had a beer with Joe Harris, who was over <laughs> uh, for, for when when St. Lucia actually won that game. But yeah, so essentially, um, you know, we get to a uh, I get to a point where I become general manager. Um, so the first thing really is sort of player retention. So during the season, uh, you know, there was a rule that if a player had played with you during that year, you could um, re-sign them for mm-hmm. the following year. And we didn't know the full rules of that, but we had one international spot open. So at first I tried to get Rashid Khan to come out for a week. Um, 
Uh, and then I tried to get Colin Ingram to come out for a week, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't. It just wasn't working. And also, I, they knew they weren't going to play in the finals, so you know it was a bit of a faff. And um, so you know, in the end, that that didn't really happen. Then what I did was I, I basically put together a really thorough investigation. Sorry, excuse me. A really thorough investigation of uh, the uh, the organization. So I spoke to. A good percentage of the players. I spoke to all the support staff. Um, I talked to the owner. I talked to the owner's son. I talked to the owner's nephew. Um, I talked to the owner's accountant. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I talked to the CPL. Um, uh, I talked to other teams. I looked at what American sports teams had done. Um, I looked at what um, soccer had done. You know, just little things that we could do to move forward. What was the best way for us to get an advantage as a team? Um, and so I put together what was a Yeah, it must have been a fifteen, twenty thousand word document. Well, of course, on, anything less than fifteen thousand, I wouldn't expect that from you. Exactly, uh, and then I sent that to the owner, and I said, "Look, we can create um, an incredible CPL team. There are inefficiencies within uh, the way that other teams are putting um, things together. There are advantages that we can do. Um, I, won't, I won't go into them too in, into too much depth, but you know, there were things that I knew that we could do um, around the salary cap that we can perfectly legal." Um, but would actually um, uh, help us um, get an advantage over other teams. Uh, you know, I wanted to employ a scouting director, um, you know, uh, look at um, having... So one thing I've realized doing... Usually teams hire one data um, analyst, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually quite hard during the tournament to follow everything that's going on in the tournament and be very detailed with your planning. Mm. Um, so one thing that I wanted to do was maybe you know hire uh, someone else um, to do a lot of that where they don't have to worry about traveling or being at training and all those sorts of things and allows the analyst to really analyze um, what's going on at training, who's preparing the best, um, watching the opposition um, play as much as possible because sometimes you don't even get a chance to do that. You watch the batsman, but you don't watch the overall planning that the team do. Mm-hmm. So little, little things like that. Which I actually, weirdly, went on and Melbourne Stars, I did a very similar role to that. Right. And I now realize how important it is. So stuff like that, um, having a, uh, you know, we didn't have a preseason camp. So having a preseason camp, uh, bringing in things like um, uh, 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 team building exercises, team building team dinners into the budget of the franchise, um, assume, um, having a buddy system so that you have senior bowlers um, in charge of junior bowlers and those sorts of things. Um, uh, you know, and then you've just got the day to day of, you know, um, uh, a player's wife is there and they need tickets. Um, you've got, um, the CPL's got a problem because they're fining a player for something that the player has done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you have to make sure that you comply with ACSU regulations quite regularly. Um, you have to make sure that the, uh, there's a good relationship going on between, you know, with the owner and the coach and the owner and the captain at all times. You have to make sure that you're on top of what's going on with the player. You know, one player might be having health issues. He might be having mental health issues. Mm-hmm. He might be having, um, 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 uh, he might have got in trouble, um, you know, on, 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 in a place. We had um, problems with um, finding um, helmets for our players um, midway through the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, we had things where agents would come up halfway through the tournament and be like, um, uh, you guys have promised this for this player and you haven't delivered it at all. Um, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, you then have, you know, the owner says to you, uh, we need we need this because I'm bringing the central minister of Gujarat to a game, so you have to make sure that this mm-hmm. is available. 
you know, th- there's a lot of little things. And then after the season, uh, it's 10 times more crazy in some ways. You get away from the sort of day-to-day um, minutiae of the job. And my phone would just be, I would get anywhere between 5 and 20 messages a day. WhatsApp, email, direct messages on Twitter, um, Facebook Messenger, you know, whatever it may be, uh, messages a day uh, with players uh, wanting to be hired and coaches wanting to be hired. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then you were trying to deal with sponsors and uh, we were trying to deal with a lot, of, well, a lot of the stuff that led to the owner being kicked out. So there was, you know, backroom channeling and uh, politicking. And there's the, uh, you know, I had a very, I have a very good relationship with a very important, prominent person in the um, St. Lucia government mm. um, because I had to, I had to do, I had to find a relationship with someone. I remember John Norman, our friend, he, yeah. we were in St. Lucia while I was the general manager with TalkSport and he watched me at a St. Lucia event. And he came up afterwards and he said, I've never seen you network in your life. Um, and you just completely blitz that entire room. And I was like, "That's networking's never been something I had to do. But as a general manager, I have to go up, introduce myself, you know, um, have good relationships. I had meetings. There's a there's a really young, incredibly talented um, solution player coming through, um, uh, Kamani Melius. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was quite young, but we... Through, we weren't sure how many Lucia players we were going to have on our roster at that stage, and I also didn't want anyone else to pick him up and yes. you know talk, <laughs> talk to the coaching staff um, and said you know can, we don't think he's going to be ready this year, um, but he might be ready next year. Are we willing to have a spot on our roster where a player may not play? You know, little things like that. Um, you know, a lot of scouting as well. Um, a lot of looking through, you know, so it's not just um, with the Ameri- with the um, West Indian um, players, you're looking at, like, they play a lot of club cricket in Trinidad. Sure. They play a lot of club cricket in America, so it's trying to find the next big thing. There's also the American player that you have to look at. Um, there's the overseas players. Um, you know, uh, there's uh, just, a, it's a sort of a, you have to constantly be on top of everything. The, mm. the actual, the rulings, so, you know, the CPL send out a thing to all the owners and managers um, and then uh, the owners complain about the rules and then the rules are changed and then they realise that there's a, you know, uh, something that they haven't noticed uh, <laughs> yeah. that they need to fix and, uh, uh, you know, and, you you know, you constantly, and then you've got meetings about that um, and then you have to explain to the owner why he can't do what he wants because the rules have changed. Um, you then have a chat with, you know, the captain or, and the coach and be like, who are the players you want to keep? Because this is how the current rules are. These are the players that I'm thinking about keeping. And they're like, yes, 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 no, we don't need him because we can get his skills from somewhere else, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of just dealing with the players. The players are keeping in touch because they don't have a contract at that point. They're hoping to be re-signed. They don't want you to forget about them. There's a particular player who I would say contacted me three times a week for six months. Hmm. Um, just because he didn't want to be forgotten and, um, uh, you know, a good player, but for, you know, a bunch of different circumstances, he's not been given the chances that he should have. And he's coming on a bit in age at the moment. Um, but he's a really quality player and, you know, uh, and he's dogged with just contacting me, we'd contact mm-hmm. the coach, we'd contact the owners. And if he's doing it with our team, I'm sure he's doing it with almost yeah. everybody else he has a contact with. Um, and, and, you know, good luck to him, I suppose, at a certain point as well. But you have to deal with that and you have to get back to him. And I, I don't like to not get back to people. So, you know, and then you've got, um, as I said, you've got um, 
uh, I mean, it's, problems it's, with vendors on the island. Um, you've got a spot check of the oval that you have to be involved with. Uh, you know, uh, finding um, sponsors for a smaller team like St. Lucia is a big deal. Finding local staff. I f- happen to find a couple of great local staff. Um, and then and then when I'm doing all that, I didn't have time to buy an analyst. So I basically had to do the analyst stuff for the draft um, and start to get that together uh, while you're also trying to convince people to go into the draft. I remember um, uh, Udana was going into the draft who yeah. ended up going, what did he go, second pick in the draft, third pick in the no, draft? No, it was the first was he first pick in the draft? Yeah. I was literally saying to his agent, look, um, I think uh, I don't think anyone else will want him. Um, we're willing to pay him uh, a small amount to get him over, but um, I think he'll have a breakthrough season in the CPL and then um, and this will be a chance. But you have to make sure that his minimum's not you know, too big. So it's conversations like that um, mm. with people. And then you get, you know, um, you know, Wakar Salem Kiel is suddenly available. Yes. Um, and you're like, well, he's only played eight games, but no one's been able to pick him so far in those eight games. And his video looks good. And um, he did well in the under 19s. Uh, is it, should we get KS Ahmed back who we know about, but we're going to have to pay more money for, mm. or should we get Wakar back, you know, and then you've got players who are not available. <laughs> you know, literally you'll have a player will contact you and go, I really want to play in the CPL. And then two weeks later, you'd be like, we think you've taken you in the draft. And I'll be like, no, well, I'm playing in the Euro league now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, the, like, you know, it, you know it's, 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 it seemed like being the general manager, basically you're doing everything. Um, you, I wouldn't talk, one, uh, I want to talk about uh, another position that you've held um, briefly, not because you didn't want it to, you didn't want it to be brief, but uh, Edinburgh Rocks. Um, yep. You were an analyst there, and uh, your LinkedIn says, you know, uh, it was great working with the team on the draft day. So what, what, what do you do on the draft day um, in terms of uh, identifying players and you're working with a budget um, and you also have the needs of the team and the skills that they're bringing, right? So how do you put a team together on the draft uh, day? And, and also there's owners and their likes and disli- dislikes and there are certain players they want and the coach wants a certain players because they have worked with them in a franchise before somewhere else. Um, you know, so in the, they're used to working with certain players, so they want those players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, how is it that you assemble a team on draft day? Yeah, um, how would I like to do it, or how did I do it this time? <laughs> how did you do it? How did you do it? Because how you would like to? So we, is, uh, I got the job on Tuesday. The draft was Friday morning. I don't think I knew which franchise I was working till Wednesday. Good. I didn't meet up with anyone on Thursday because we. Um, uh, I was told that we weren't meeting up, and apparently we were, and I should have come in. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, it, is it true that you thought it was uh, Glasgow, but then actually your employment was with Edinburgh? A positive that I was originally offered the job as analyst for Glasgow and I ended up being the analyst for Edinburgh, yes. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, so it, look, there's a lot of stuff going on. It, it was a very fly-by-night thing, which is why it's being p- postponed and hopefully for the, those countries involved, it does come back. So I think it's a brilliant thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, who knows? Who, who knows what's going on with exactly. that at the moment? But um, So what I would do is I think you have to start with what players you have available and in that particular draft um it was actually a little bit easier because it was only it wasn't like you know in the ipl you've got you know 200 local players to choose from Mm. you know in scotland i think they had i can't remember now maybe it was 12 so maybe 24 players altogether Mm -hmm. 
and they were put into bands. So the top, uh, their top four guns were in the in band one. Yeah. So I think that was Barrington, McLeod, Munzee, um, Kyle in, in round one, and then round yeah, two. Jared Goff did a great job explaining the uh, player bands, of course. <laughs> well, butchering Goffy. the names. Yeah. He might have made the most money out of anyone in that league because he got <laughs> up front. Um, blessing. There's a great moment where Goffey just starts talking to me um, during the draft, and I'm like, mate, I don't have a microphone. <laughs> I can't talk back. Anyway, um, so, so yeah, I looked at what Scottish cricket was, was good at because there's no point me going, we need – three finger spinners when actually there's there's a you know um, Scotland cricket had four really good finger spinners they have good right arm seam but they didn't have any left arm seam they didn't have any express pace they have good top order players so literally I started with there what are the strengths of Scottish cricket mm. um, and then it was a new league so we don't know a lot about it but you have to assume that there's not a lot of left arm fast bowlers um, or out and out fast bowlers in associate cricket there are a few wrist spinners um, but you, there, there was a lot of really good quality wrist spin available um, to to be hired um, for that league. So you're looking at you know you're looking at a, a very good wrist spinner because Scotland doesn't have one. Mm. Um, and then you basically once you've worked out what you think is going to be your I can't remember how many overseas players we had for that, but let's say we had seven Scottish players in the team or six Scottish players in the team and five overseas. Mm-hmm. So once we'd worked out what our best six Scottish players were or seven Scottish players were, it was then what are the holes we we most we most need to um, plug. Mm. So what what things can from Scot- Scottish cricket do we not need to plug and what things do we need to plug? So gotcha. um, you know I, I can't remember if we had Ollie Hairs or not in our team, but if if we had Ollie in our team, we probably wouldn't have looked for you know a number six or a number seven who could bash the ball out of the park. Gotcha. But if we didn't have Ollie Hairs. Um, and Scotland doesn't have a lot of natural, huge hitting, you know, they have fast scorers, but they don't have the guys who just come in and, you know, Corey sixes, and, yeah. yeah, Ben Cutting type guys. Um, uh, th- then if that was the case, we would have to draft that, gotcha. that in. So that was the sort of the basic thing that we did. But what actually happened on the day was that I was quite happy with my research considering I had almost no time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put it together and worked out sort of the best team and everything that we could. But we were not told the full rules of the draft until 15 minutes before we entered the room. Yeah, I think that's a plenty of heads up. And it turned out that they had some silly draft rule, which I hope they get rid of for next year, or the players didn't even know about this fully, where essentially you had... Um, so you had to pick a player from round one. Mm-hmm. You had to pick a player from round two, but you couldn't pick a player who was in round four in round one. Gotcha. So Dan Christian was in the third round of the draft because he so just you put could only up draft now. him. You have to wait till yeah, okay. Yeah, so he would have been one of our top picks, right? Yeah, in round one, the players that had put themselves down for round one, we didn't necessarily need, right? And we did. But you had to you had to make a pick. Yeah, and so we found out about this. But think about it. We found out about it 15 minutes before. So we had picked. Uh, we knew exactly what international players we needed. We knew how much it was going to cost us. We had, you know, backups. You know, let's say we had the third pick in a round. We had, you know, backups and, and, and all sorts of things that I'd worked out on the fly as quickly as possible. Um, and then we got into the draft and all that had to go away. Hmm. So, so we picked, I think we had Corey Anderson as our first pick. Um, uh 
obviously because of his power, um, and also because we thought, well, there aren't many left armers in this league, so even if we can get through one or two overs a game with him, he's, yeah. his bowling being a little bit different will be handy. And, of course, we find out an hour later that um, he can't bowl because he's just had an operation. Um, now, that's the sort of thing that I would have loved to have known beforehand. <laughs> um, so then... What, you had the entire around, 24 hours to prepare and you, couldn't, you didn't know about his surgery? I'm joking. <laughs> well, he wasn't on our list. We wouldn't have picked him because we had... We had Dan Christian. He would have. He wasn't even in our top five of of guys for that role. Mm. Um, I, and, and not not that he's not a, a really good player because I love Corey Anderson, but he didn't fit into what we were trying to do. So there was no reason for us to even look at him. He'd been excluded from the list. Um, and <laughs> no, then suddenly, no offense like, to Corey, obviously. Yeah, and then we had. I think Ben Cutting was in round one. So Ben Cutting was our first pick. Um, and then we had, like, I think maybe Kusul Pereira maybe was in that list. Hmm. And it was like, well, do we want Kusul Pereira or do we want Corey Anderson? <laughs> and we literally have four minutes to decide on the two. Um, and, you know, and I think we might have even tried to make a phone call to someone who knew Corey or to his agent or something. And they didn't get back to us. So it was just such a ridiculous situation. And we were doing that round by round. Um, And so, you know, if I was doing it properly, so I've only been involved in two drafts. I had a minimal, um, uh, you know, involvement in Bangladesh, uh, Bangladesh, Bangalore a couple of years ago, as I said. Mm -hmm. And then this one, and I've still never done it properly. But what, you know, basically what you have to do is you have to know the rules better than the people who wrote them. I think it's the most important thing. And then you need to understand what the the national resources are, Mm -hmm. if you will, the local player resources. And then you need to build a team around that and what works in that league. So, So you need to know about people's injuries and surgeries. Yeah, it, and it, do you know what? That's where become, being a journalist is really handy and, you know, being able to contact people and gen, in general, not in this particular case. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I found that, you know, with Scotland and with Lucia and um, uh, with Melbourne Stars, being a journalist and being able to track things down, uh, literally, you know, the, the team's planning for this one particular player and I'm like, I think he's injured. Um, and they're like, no, 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 there's no injury. And I'm like, well, I'll just make some phone calls. No, this player's injured. He's not playing. Um, you know, little things like that are hugely helpful. So when we played Singapore, uh, when, when we were in Scotland, like um, one of the players, Tim David, is from Perth. Um, and I literally contacted everyone I knew who played club cricket in Perth over the last six years mm. um, to say to them, what do you know about this guy? Now, if I'm not a journalist, I just don't have those. Right. You know, that, that sort of stuff. Um, the first person I contacted was actually his club coach who told me to get stuffed. But... <laughs> Over time, I worked out a plan to him, which I knew was going to be better than me watching, you know, him face a few balls on a on a tin pot ground in t- Singapore. Mm. Um, and so that actually really helped uh, when when we bowled to him. Sadly, he then took four catches and uh, an incredible run out, and still won the game for them without making any runs. But um, you know, those sorts of things do come in quite handy. And so you know, you are pulling from different things. So you know, one of one of the things for St. Lucia was going to be coming up with a proper scouting report so that we had a scouter who would literally go and talk to the family and talk to the coach and talk to um, the players who had played with this person and put together a thing because that's what professionals do if they're investing money in someone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you want to know these sorts of things. There, there's, you know, the amount of times, I, I think, in that draft, um, uh, uh, Ramps, who was our coach, said, well, you know, what do you think about Luke Wright? Uh, and he, and he said, you know, can open the bat and get Did he say, like, nice hair? 
<laughs> and I said, Luke Wright hasn't bowled an over in like two or three years. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, I think he can still bowl. And I said, he didn't bowl for Melbourne Stars, and they paid him a lot more than we're going to pay. I think his back's gone. I don't think he's going to bowl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and uh, luckily Ramps had his number, I think, contacted him straight away and said, are you going to bowl? Um, it's like, no, I don't bowl anymore. You know, little things like that. You know, I, I, a lot of my job is just due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as you said, you've then got just the normal things of, you know, I remember when we got David Warner, uh, it was between David Warner and Anton Devsic, and I thought Anton Devsic was a better suit for our team. Even if David Warner might be a better player, mm-hmm. we could have got a couple of extra overs out of Devsic. We also could have batted Devsic in the middle of, in the middle yeah, order without any problem. Around, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's what we needed. But the owner was like, "Well, there's two names on the list. One is David Warner. Why were we not? Why would we not get David Warner as David Warner? You know." Um, and, and we had that with Edinburgh Rocks as well. The owners were desperate to get a you know a, a well-known Indian player in um, mm. because you know that they were Indian um, origin. They wanted an Indian player. Um, mm. uh, Pragyan Oja was in there. Uh, Previn Tambe, a couple of other decently known players uh, were in that draft. And it's you know it's like well we don't need Oja because we have quality finger spin, yep. which are in better form than him already. Uh, uh, I think Pravintame might have ended up being our supplementary pick or something, um, or an injury pick. Someone got, someone wasn't available. Um, uh, but but you know, so you, you have to deal with the owners. Um, you then have to deal with not so much the agents, or those, dealing with the agents is a huge part of it. But you also have to deal with what the player is expecting. Um, so you know, you're better off to have a conversation with the player before. Like if you're going to bring Anton Devsic in and he's not going to open the batting you're much better off to tell him that before you hire him, mm-hmm. right? If you bring him in and he's an opening batsman and you suddenly say, we're going to bat you at five, he'll be like, um, well, I could have taken an offer with another team. Whereas if you say to him, we're going to get you in, we're going to bat you at five, here's why we're going to bat you at five. There's still a chance you might open in some games, but this is why we want you. These are the overs we want you to bowl. When they come across, they're like, yeah, I can do that. They usually yeah. say, yeah, I can do that. But they don't like it when they get there and you suddenly say, oh, you know how you always bowl at the death? You're going to bowl in the power plate for us, <laughs> right? So, you know, little things like that yeah. are building a relationship with the players and, you know, and saying, you know, so at St. Lucia, we had a really interesting one that I, I never got quite got to work with because um, uh, you know, the, the owner um, got rid of me. But what, what we had two, we had Keswick Williams and Obed McCoy who were clearly going to re-sign um, as quality, you know, uh, frontline um, CPL bowling talent, local bowling talent. But the thing about those two bowlers is, is they're both much better at the death than they are at any other time in the game. Obviously, so you me, opened the bo- bowling with them. Hey? You opened the bowling with them. That seems the most logical thing to do. Yeah. So, so my plan was, as a data analyst, and it and was, well, guys, you'll bowl at the death, and I'll go out and get a front-line um, power play specialist as mm-hmm. our bowler. I hadn't uh, what I was told, although I never got to talk to Keswick or Obed about this. I think I could have talked them through it. But what I was told is by, by some of the other coaches, you can't do that. Because they'll be like, why are you paying this guy an absolute fortune? And he gets to bowl the easy overs and we get paid local wages and we get to bowl, we have to bowl at the death. Mm. Right. So it's literally building a relationship with the players that you're drafting or that are already on your side to be like, we're, we're going to draft in this other guy who is a back, who's a wicket keeper, but that's not to drop you. That's because we need an extra wicket keeper in the squad. Someone mm-hmm. with wicket skills in case you get injured. Little things like that you have are so important and mm. you don't want what, what happens is these franchises, these players just sort of turn up at the last minute. Yeah. Have, it, it, 
in, in really good franchises, the coach and the captains chatted to them a lot. But quite often, <laughs> no one's talked to them. That hasn't, you know, uh, when I was working with Edinburgh, I was saying to Ramps, you need to contact every player and tell them what you think their role is going to be now. They, mm-hmm. need, to, they need to know that now. They can't turn up in Edinburgh. Um, and then for us to suddenly say, ah, funny thing, guys, I know how you usually bowl left-arm finger spin, but we thought wicketkeeper. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, so it's all all of that is part of it so if you're if you're gonna have a really good plan and this is you know one of those things i talked about with when i was involved with bangalore so bangalore wanted to hire lamachane in that draft mm. and they gave me like three little videos of him bowling in the distance <laughs> to look at on an iphone well, was um, it the zapruder film of cricket sorry was it the zapruder fl- film of cricket I think I might have made that joke to them. Um, <laughs> so they gave me that, and they gave me what else did they give me? Uh, 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 and that he'd done really well in the blitz, and that he'd done a trial with an IPL team hmm. or a bowl to an IPL team, and they thought he was good, right? And so I was like, "Look, I have no idea if this guy's any good or not. Um, I've heard good things, the same as everyone else has, but he's played a very low level of cricket so far." He, he had the sixth best figures of any spinner in the um, Nepal Premier League or whatever that league was called. Mm-hmm. Um, he's young. If you want to hire him, I, I've got no problem with that, but you have to do the due diligence on him. You have to go out and find out everything that you can about him. Look at three shoddy um, iPhone videos from an empty stadium. It's not telling me if this guy is a talent or not. It's just telling me that he bowls leg spin and has a wrong one. That's all I know. He could be bowling in a beer game for all I know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and and the same same thing with Bangalore that year was with fast bowlers. Like, if you're going to hire a fast bowler, you need to have some kind of medical um, knowledge of, like, let's say you, you, you say you want one fast bowler and there are 15 in the draft, right? Hmm. You Probably you're going to narrow yourself down to eight or ten, right? And you're going to work out that there's the ones you're willing to spend a lot of money on, the ones you're willing to spend a little bit of money on, and the ones that you'll just take at the end if they're still available. Mm-hmm. But you have to have talked to them, their agent, their, you know, their local state association, their coach, are they bowling at the moment? What pace are they bowling? Can you send me a video of you bowling today? That sort of stuff. Yeah. To know that they're still bowling at maximum pace. Um, and, you know, and you also have to know about this for, like I said, eight to ten guys. Because you don't know how many of these players are going to be hired in that draft. Mm-hmm. So, and whether they're available to be picked by your team, too. You know, somebody yeah. else could take them. So, so you know, you were talking about, um, you were talking about a depth chart on every different thing. So I have... Uh, you know what a depth chart is, yeah. You're an American sports fan, yeah. Uh, for cricket fans who don't know what it is, it's basically like saying, uh, you know, we've got a squad of 30 people at Surrey, um, and of those 30 people, we out. We've got seven spinners. Um, we've got five um, finger spinners and two uh, uh, wrist spinners. So our number one wrist spinner it plays in the team. Our number two wrist spinner plays in our seconds. And then we have um, uh, below that three, four, and five local guys who might be available who are playing minor counties, who can more risk in or academy players or whatever. So that's what a depth chart is. So I have a depth chart on um, T20 cricket that's already sort of pre-set up Mm. uh, for any draft where I can basically go in and through numbers, through advanced numbers, um, I can work out, you know, who the strike rotators are, who the middle order smashers are, who the short form openers are, who the long form openers are, 
Um, who are the openers who bowl um, two overs or less? Who are the openers who bowl two overs or more? Who are the openers who bowl two overs or more that are spin? And then I can come up with that so that when I'm in the draft and the coach says, do you know what we really need? Is We really need a middle-order batsman who can bowl us two overs of spin. Mm-hmm. I can literally say, well, here are the options. Yeah. Here are their numbers. This is what they've been doing. I've already ranked them. Um, if you've got an idea, that's how drafts should be done. Yeah. I, I'm yet to be involved in a draft where that has happened. Uh, but one day, Subash, one day. I wanted to uh, talk to you about your time with uh, the national team of Scotland, Cricket uh, Scotland, um, as the analyst recently. But that's gonna, we're going to hold it off for another time because I can never get enough of Jared. Um, <laughs> um, that's what the people tell me. Um, that they can never get enough of you. So uh, we are... Don't think, pretend that it's not about you, your personal feelings. Never, never. Um, so we've gone well over an hour, so I think... Uh, yeah. That was my first answer. <laughs> so, um, you know... No, it's really good to talk about the general manager stuff, though. Like, yeah, you know, that, it, it, by the way. it is quite an interesting job, and it's a very hard thing to explain to people as well. Mm. Um, you know, the many different moving parts of it. But it's, it's I, I promise you, I, you know, so I did it during the season for a couple of weeks, and then obviously did it for um, six to eight months after that. It's the most fun I've ever had in cricket, and I've never been sucked up to by so many people in my life. Really? Not that kid um, in Bangalore that said, Mr. Jared? No? No? Okay. No. I'm shocked. The, it, it's really weird to be like, you know, to have like a famous cricketer um, call you up and just be like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm okay. Like, Can I help you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, so Lucia. I was like, ah, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so, it, you know, it, it's good to chat through that sort of stuff. It's um, it's a developing job in cricket as well. And it's such an interesting thing to do it in a place like St. Lucia because you have the po- politics of the island, the, the economics of, um, of, of the small market, um, you know, the CPL, um, uh, the way that that works as well. So it was um, it was a real learning curve. I felt like I, I kind of learned two years worth of work in, in six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was maybe the first time I really understood how cricket worked from bottom up, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Because, you know, you, you, you get glimpses of it as a journalist, but to be able to really see how these things work and you end up, you understand why, you know, well, basically I understand why franchise cricket is run by agents and it's because uh, most teams don't have a general manager um, and uh, the owners and coaches and captains can't follow all the cricket, so the agents just feed them stuff until they just take the agent's player. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. little things like that are really, really interesting. But anyway, sorry, you were trying to end this podcast and I was trying to restart it. <laughs> well, the next episode is already lined up then. Great. Um, so anyway, on that, uh, Jared, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll talk about uh, your time at Scotland and whatever else you end up doing from here on out um, on the next episode of The Couch Talk. Thanks, buddy. No worries, man. This is the Couch Talk Podcast.